Welcome to Mindful Mutiny. I'm Jeremy Van Wert, CEO, licensed therapist, and transformational coach. At Mindful Mutiny, we thoughtfully rebel against anything that stands between you and your highest potential. Today, we have an absolutely amazing guest that I have been waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks to have. We have Dr. Heather Bird, who is a doctor of acupuncture. And today we are going to discuss everything from spirituality to healing, to removing blockages from your life that maybe you didn't even know were there. Dr. Heather Bird is somebody that I have known for a very long period of time. She has worked with me and I just, I, she's had such an amazing effect on my life on, in my mindset and in understanding who I am as a, as a cosmic being. And so, uh, Dr. Bird, thank you so much for joining the Mindful Mutiny podcast. It is my honor to be here. Um, Heather, as, as, as I, as we get into this, I wanted to ask you to just explain, because it's so much more than acupuncture that you do. What is it that you do with, with clientele that provides them with the value that you uniquely provide to them? A great question. I think I'd like to use yourself as an example. If we can talk about the first time you came to see me for a quote unquote, like acupuncture treatment. Um, years ago, you came in, and I remember that the whole room smelt like cigarettes. And I asked you, do you smoke? And you said, no, of course you don't smoke. And I was thinking, okay, patients lie all the time. That's fine. And you were like, no, I really don't smoke. And I was like, oh, what I'm sensing is you were close with your grandfather. Your grandfather was a smoker. I think he died of lung cancer, and he has blended into you. Um, and you're having some consequences of walking around with somebody else's spirit in your body. And then I helped you disconnect from your grandfather's spirit, which you mentioned a moment ago of having blocks that you might not even know you had. You, at that time, I don't think you were aware that you had your deceased grandfather blended into you. And anytime we're walking around with somebody else's influence, it's going to have a burden, a consequence on our day-to-day -day life. So depending on what's blended into you, depends on the consequence. So if, if someone was blended into you and that person had a cancer, maybe you'd be more predisposed to cancer. So the big question, like why do some people get cancer and some people don't get cancer? Or if someone was blended into you who was a gambling addict or someone with anxiety, you might have a gambling problem or you might have anxiety. I don't remember. Do you remember if you had symptoms of your grandfather or like what changed once we removed so him? From this him? is this is the the real brilliance of this whole thing. So for people's just education out there and knowledge, my grandfather Tony was a very happy-go-lucky, fun guy and he was he went into the service in World War II and he fought in Iwo Jima and Guadalcanal and mm -hmm. he was out there for 36 months which is an unbelievably long time and he saw absolutely horrible combat and according to my family my grandfather came home and he was never quite the same again and had very, very strong symptoms of PTSD. He would wake up in the night screaming and he was sure that there was an attack happening. Uh, my grandmother would have to turn the lights on and show him that there was no enemy combatants in the room or outside the window. Uh, and like many men in the service, he never really got any kind of psychological help. He would do what many of those men did in those those days. He would smoke a lot, he'd drink a lot, and he worked a lot. And he did that for a very long time, always a, a, a very good man, a very honest man, a very uh, a man with a great deal of integrity, but that happy-go-lucky, sunny, fun, um, jokey nature of him was lost uh, in when he was in the service. And his high uh, high energy, because of that vigilance of that is something that drove him to smoke till he couldn't stand up anymore. And he passed away when I believe that I was maybe five years old. It was 1981 or 82 that that, that that was. And when you said, who do you know, who in your family smokes? He was the one. 
And, and so you were able to connect with him in that. And his, when you talked about his nervous energy, I've always been a nervous bird. I've always been really highly anxious and highly vigilant. I still kind of am, but that was a day that I remember where some things seemed to fall in place for me. And since you're saying you still might have some of those symptoms right now, if you don't mind this being experiential, sure. um, I'm scanning you to see if there's any residual of him. Um, and he's completely moved out, um, but it's almost as if there was like a, a shadow cast that still has imprinted on your nervous system. So if I'll have you take a big deep breath in and then focus on your chest and especially like the top part of your chest and just take a moment, follow your breathing, follow your heart, because it seems like when you get anxious, it is in that chest space. Like some people might get anxious and it's, um, it makes their muscles tight or it's all in their head or it makes them, you know, whatever sneeze or scratch for you. It seems to um, negatively impact your upper chest. So I'm just kind of reminding your nervous system, especially like vagus nerve and the nerves that are coming in to your chest to kind of modulate, to be able to ramp up, but be able to ramp down. So if there are no threats, if things are nice and calm, you can access that serenity. And just one more breath in, and then I'll have you imagine like all the nerves just going down your spine. And we'll just help you like anchor down into your low back because it also seems sometimes when you get <laughs> the nervous bird comes on, um, the nervous system in your upper back becomes more active in your lower back. So kind of like if you went up into your headspace, so just pulling those energetics down and grounding yourself through the rest of your spine. So how does that feel when we, when we do that for you? A, a wonderful, beautiful change of consciousness for me, a sense of serenity, a, a sense of actually being here in in myself, whereas I tend to be really, really in my head, really, really fast um, a lot of the time. So, again, it, it begs that question, how come some people go up into their head a lot? How come some people go into their head and they're very intelligent and kind of overthinking? How come some people go into their head and they're numb or blank or how come sometimes people go into their head and it's a fear space or an anger space or you know a million other combinations so for you like we talked about that grandpa especially when you were five that's when your nervous system is really developing um so he blended into at a young age and it kind of set you on a certain trajectory and then you had him with you a majority of your life. And it's only been the last couple of years that you're breathing, you have breathing space without him. Um, and it just can take our nervous system a little while, while to reharmonize. So for you going up into your headspace, that being the root cause, but then helping you ground back down and not just being like a mind activity, which is a helpful tool, but having it shift into a default when your body senses something is just more efficient. You don't have to like constantly keep reminding yourself to do that. Your body will just find that new balance point and be like, this is uh, a more effective place to be. And you settle into it for a, a different long-term trajectory. So through, throughout this, for, for the audience, um, I might work on you a couple of times just as things come up. It's irresistible for me to kind of go in and help you edit, like help people spirit. And I think it's one of the better ways to demonstrate how I work with people um, is everyone is going to be different and have their own specific situation. So in general, I scan people and then I can find the root cause of whatever symptom chief complaint they're calling me for, helping them find that root cause, teaching their spirit how to auto-correct it, and then any guidance, any kind of tweaks along the way. At the time, and this is, uh, you know, for, for our audience, at the time when you, when you sensed my grandfather, you you had told me that he had hung around me for a really long period of time because he thought that I was an interesting fellow. You used those words. So why would 
Is that common? Why would an ancestor stay with a person for a long period of time? Um, A a couple reasons. One is um, favoritism. Like they'll scan around and they'll be like, I just really like this particular person. And it could be blood or I've seen it like a neighbor um, or a family friend. Um, So they they look around and they they see not only who who they enjoy, to be connected with, but then who has access points, like kind of in a way, like what are the low hanging fruit? Like who could I easily assimilate into who would receive me in? So if you had a positive relationship with your grandpa, like maybe you were kind of like him, you were both happy go lucky guys at your true nature, you would feel a kinship and you would be like, this guy is great. Of course, we want to hang out and you'd be very receptive. Um, Let's take someone else who has a vast history of getting spiritually abused. They might not let another spirit, another presence or entity blend into them because of their experience with that in the past. Um, So part of it is favoritism. Part of it is just opportunity. Who's closest, who's around, and then who has the chinks in their armor where they can actually get in. And I I say chinks in the armor as a way to say anyone who's carrying around energy frequencies that are not theirs of foreign nature, they'll always be abusive. They'll always be parasitic, even if you super duper love that person. So it's not a reflection of who's nice and who isn't kind. Um, But if you're running someone else's pattern, it It'll always be like smears on the blueprint that will disrupt your inner well-being and cause symptoms and consequences in a variety of different ways. So you have to have a couple chinks in your armor that will allow abuse to take place in the first part. If there was someone who was running a spirit pattern of absolutely nobody could abuse me, then even if there was a favorite grandpa who wanted to blend in, um, the spiritual physics would never allow that. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I, um, sorry, you're you you, you kind of blow me away when you <laughs> when when you do this. Uh, you know, because it, it, it's so it's so close to home. It's so wonderfully meaningful uh, that that you're able to connect, you know, with with a person in this way, and so. Um, you're a very unique person. Can you take me back in your life? When did all of this start? When did you start being able to see things that other people couldn't see? I I come from a interesting group of birds. I grew up in a childhood that was very chaotic, very violent, and uh everyone completely believed in ghosts and spirits. So that wasn't beaten out of us. Like it's beaten out of a lot of American kids. So um, if there were ghosts in the house or if weird, creepy experiences happened, um, we could talk about them and kind of almost like jokingly use humor to minimize them. Um, And it was considered like normal that people could interact with the other side. Um, And then one of the consequences of a lot, a pretty extreme amount of violence um, was my first near-death experience at about six. I don't have, I don't have really clear memories of the incident other than it came from family and it was incredibly violent. But the consequence of that was this deeply ingrained desire to survive. And by six, by seven, I knew childhood is just something to be endured. And I'm just going to serve my goal is to just get out of my childhood alive and sort this out when I am kind of away from this pack of hornets. So going through, uh, let's see, childhood. Um, There's just a lot of really creepy spiritual metaphysical stuff that happened throughout my childhood. And then I don't think it was well until late 20s where I was able to sit back and reflect and be like, wait, people don't understand the world the way I understand it. Not everybody 
has medical intuition. Not everybody can talk to ghosts. Not everybody can access past lives. I don't think it really occurred to me that that I was doing something special. I thought everybody could easily access this information as well as I could. It was in acupuncture school when um, I would sit down with a patient and say something like, oh, you have ringing in your ears and the ringing is worse in your left ear. And the patient would be like, how did you know that? And then the teachers would turn to me and be like, how did you know that? And that's when I started to kind of piece together. Like, I think I'm processing the world differently. I think I'm getting a lot more information than the standard person is getting. So kind of later, later in life when I put that together. And, and so, you know, you, you became comfortable early on with the concept that you, you see things that other people can't see and you weren't even really aware that that was something that was different or unique until later on. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of, it's a lot of just misunderstanding about what what the spirit world actually is in related to you know our existence and i i had a job that was at a place that had a headquarters that had a lot of energy in it and when i was there at night it was spooky cuz things would things would move doors would shut toilets would flush on their own, like all of this sort of thing. And you had talked about this in terms of lots of different spirits can do lots of different things. Sometimes they're playing with you. Sometimes they really don't like you being around. Sometimes there's just a lot of different ways in which that dimension, whatever it is, can 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 interact with us. And so what can you talk a little bit about all of that? Just like humans who are alive, there is a wide spectrum of functionality, like lower functioning humans and higher functioning humans. So on the other side, same thing, if you had a lower functioning human, their abilities might not be that impressive on the other side. But then if you have a high functioning human with a high level of abilities, whether they're from a pure source or a dark source, um, the greater their abilities will be on the other side. So if someone had access to um, psychic abilities or accessing a lot of different dimensions while they're alive, when they cross over, they maintain their spiritual abilities or spiritual hierarchy. So they would be able to access alternate dimensions on the other side. So for example, like um, flushing a toilet, um, well, flushing a toilet with the malicious intent to upset you versus like, I'm bored, so I'm going to flush the toilet or I have OCD and I'm going to be a ghost to flush the toilet. Um, I'm going to flush this toilet because I know that will really get Jeremy's attention and it'll kind of spook him. So that kind of hints that they get their abilities from a darker place versus like a pure place, just using... Um, the litmus test of like, do no harm. If someone is trying to do something malicious to you, even if it's benign, like flushing a toilet, it would tell me that they are of like a darker intention. Um, if while they were alive, they could access other dimensions. So maybe when that ghost was alive, they could talk to ghosts or they could see ghosts or they could feel when a ghost was in a dark room. They'd get to the other side and they would have that consciousness of, oh, the when you're a human, you can access the dimension of ghosts on the other side. So I can look back and be a ghost and access that human dimension. One of the things, and that fly just loves you. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that, that you mentioned just really quickly in that was the concept of pure source. Can you explain what that is and, and what you're talking to when you refer to that? Yeah, I'll use um, an example of how I kind of stumbled onto it um, to, to illustrate. Well, when I'm explaining it to a patient, I might say like, um, um, the source, well, I'll go back to my example. So when I was a little kid, in addition to physical violence um, from the people around me, I would also get spiritually attacked. So like spirit, like ghosts would punch me and attack me. And every single night when I was a little kid, 
I would go to sleep and the lights would be out and the whole entire room, whatever room I was in, would fill up with these dark spirits. It's a dark room, so I'm not seeing them with my eyes open. I'm sensing them around me. And I could just sense this like pack of really dark spirits that would just swarm like tornado all the way around me. And their intent was to terrify me. And I can tell you as a little kid, it was terrifying. If that happened as an adult today, I would still probably be terrified. Every single night this would happen. I had horrible insomnia as a kid and really bad being scared of the dark because they didn't appear when the lights were on. Um, But after one of my near-death experiences, right after it, I I had this situation, maybe I'm 12 or 13, I'm lying in bed, it's completely dark, the the monsters are swirling all around me, and I was like, okay, I don't know what is going on, but I know that this feels really dark, this feels really evil, this feels really bad, therefore, there are dark and evil and bad things that are real in the world, whether I can see them or explain them to anyone or measure them, I know that this is my experience and I know this is happening, so if there are dark things there has to be an opposite. So what is the opposite of this dark? And instantly I just, I was flooded with this light internally and all the dark, scary monsters instantly evaporated and the room was just bright as day. And I was like, okay, dark things exist, but the opposite of darkness exists, light exists, purity exists. And so for months and years afterwards, every night that would still happen. The dark things would come swirling in and I would, and I'd have to be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. When the darkness shows up, just remember, find the opposite, find something that's a hundred percent pure. And as soon as I would do that, all the scary entities around me would disappear. So on one side, it was rough having a rough childhood, but it has benefited me immeasurably to find that purity at a really young age and be able to access that and use that as a goalpost for the rest of my life because it gave me a tangible trajectory in a world like the spirit world, the metaphysical world is mostly invisible. So to have like an internal visceral experience of something tangible has benefited me every day since then. So I think that's my most basic definition of something of like pure source or purity is the opposite, like in dichotomy to the darkness that's out there. You have really helped me conceptualize a lot of things differently than um, how I did before for, you know, I've been a clinician for a very long period of time. And when I'm working with people, a lot of people have these just dark feelings. And oftentimes it's early abuse or early trauma. I'm not worth something. I, people shouldn't love me. I deserve to be put down and these sorts of things. And these are what I would just kind of put down as personal roadblocks. These are things, these are ideas that people have that just certainly aren't true. I've I've met the most lovely human beings Mm -hmm. who have such a sense that they're not worth anything. And so, and it, it affects everything in their life. It affects their ability to assert themselves when they're being wronged. It, it, it affects their sexual lives between them and their spouse because they don't feel like they are worth having somebody spend extra time on them. Uh, they, it, it affects their careers because they don't feel that they deserve to go to a certain level in their career or that they're too stupid or these different things like this. Um, What a therapist would look at is let's get some better insight into those early experiences and let's just try something different. How would you approach these sorts of things from a uh, just long held beliefs that just simply aren't true? I would say in general, the patterns that people are running are coming from three places, trauma from this life. Um, family lineage so like a family history of anxiety all the women in a family have anxiety like kind of encoded in the dna um and past life 
experiences so like in every past life somebody had anxiety so where I love therapy and I think everybody um should go through courses of therapy I think that works really well when you pair it with like the true root cause modern therapy seems to only be looking at trauma from this life and then they it's I think they use coping mechanisms or tools um to combat it and it's not getting to the underlining spiritual frequencies that are dictating it in general I try not to do coping mechanisms because I feel like they just propagate the pattern they just give you a way to cope with it you're not deleting it you're not shifting it you're just living with it and when you agree to just live with with it you're just continuing to propagate it so I think coping mechanisms should only be used like to prevent someone from immediately harming themselves or harming others. I don't see long-term, I don't see results with it because I'll have patients who are in their 60s, 70s and 80s and saying, yeah, I've been working on this. I've been in therapy for decades and it's not shifting. So I think when modern therapy starts to combine frequency healing with their techniques, I'd be really fascinated to see what comes out of that. So being able to identify, okay, this person has, let's say anxiety, and let's say it's because their grandfather blended into them when they were five years old. And that's because in a past life, they had done that a hundred times. Or that's because in their DNA, they're predisposed to that. So kind of working um, on multidimensional factors of root cause, not just traditional conventionally accepted diagnosis so for the person who's listening when you're instructing people on how to access pure source how to give themselves the healing because you're a big proponent that we can heal ourselves from wow. a list of maladies how, how what are you talking about I, I speak from experience. I not only had some intense um, psychological um, diagnosis that I had to overcome, I had some really intense physical illnesses that I healed and it opened my eyes to like, Western med told me I would never be able to heal these and they're 100% gone. So if I can heal this and my hands were tied behind my back and I can figure this out, I think anybody can figure this out. Um, so do you want specifics like stories about me, like what I healed? Is that interesting or would it be more interesting if I like for the people listening right now, like take a deep breath and I'll, I'll help you identify one of your root things and how to heal it. Let's do you first and then do that because I think it'd be really a wonderful thing to do. Um, yeah, by my young twenties, by probably, yeah, by 21, I had spicy PTSD and that lasted until early thirties, like debilitating PTSD. And that's one of the things where well, let me ask you for PTSD now, are they like, are therapists saying this can be healed 100% or are they saying you're just going to need to manage this the rest of your life? Case by case. Oh, really? Honestly. Yeah. There, okay. there, there's uh, depending upon the severity and the, and the uh, length of time of the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. When I did traditional therapy decades ago, it was like, you're just going to have to live with this forever. And maybe it's, like sim it's a symptom reduction model generally. And a symptom reduction kind of goes back to coping skills. Um, it's learning to manage things and not learning how to completely shift the trajectory of your life, which I, I completely did. I can just say like the trajectory that I was going on in my twenties horrifies me. Like if that would to continue, I would not be who I am, like where I am today. Um, so in addition to the, the mental component of PTSD and really spice the spicy symptoms that go through that, um, I was I had a debilitating chronic illness. Um, it was called interstitial cystitis, and it was 
autoimmune and idiopathic. They didn't, they don't know what causes it. Um, and interstitial cystitis, the symptoms are bladder infection. And I hope you've never had one, Jeremy. Um, don't, don't do that <laughs> for the people out there who have had a bladder infection. It's peeing fire. It's incredibly painful. And for six years, I had debilitating pelvic floor fire. Oh. Um, it was, it was so painful. And in those years, like I was like, I'm ready to not be alive. I wasn't suicidal. I didn't, I never wanted to harm myself. I did not want to be in, alive in a version where I was in this much pain. Like it was that debilitating. And, um, and that was one of those things like, oh, autoimmune diseases. We don't really understand it. You're just going to have this forever, but maybe we can give you like some Prozac. That was the extent of, of the, um, therapies available. And I was able to rip the bandaid off and 100% heal from, from a condition where people are not supposed to heal from. In addition to that, I've just had like Oh gosh, um, let me think. Um, twice in my life, I've broken my dominant hand, my right hand, and I've learned to do everything with my left hand. I've broken my right arm, and then the day I got the cast off, I broke my left arm. I I had to learn how to walk again as an adult in a foreign country. Um, I've yeah, I've just kind of gone. Oh my goodness remembering some of the other insane physical challenging things I've gone through. Um, and the good news was that really toughened me up. It made me really excellent at pain management, but going through a series of like really extreme physical symptoms, not only does it, did it give me like a wide bandwidth for my patients, but demonstrating like, wow, if I can heal these things that are not supposed to be healable, anyone can heal. Demonstrate? <laughs> yes, please. Okay. So as a group, let's take a big deep breath in. Uh, you were talking about identifying pure source. Let's start with that. So you can think of pure anything, pure water, pure air, pure love, kind of tap into yourself and find a space where if it was 100% pure, if it could never harm you, if it could only heal you, what would that be? If you could be your best possible version of yourself at this exact moment in time, here and now, what would that be like? Even if you don't have the answer, just starting to open yourself up to that question, what is something that could heal me and never harm me? And who would I be? What trajectory would I go on? How would my life change if I shifted into a dimension where I found my best possible version of myself? And at this moment, I started operating it from. And comparing and contrasting, what do you want less of at this moment in time? Scan your body head to toe. What are your squeaky wheels? What do you want less of right now? lovely breath in. What do you want more of right now at this exact second? What is going right in your life? There are hundreds of thousands of mechanisms happening in your body perfectly right now. What would you want to delete? What would you want to edit out? What would you, would you want to remove from your life? What would you want to increase? Comparing that to your favorite version of yourself and your best possible self. What would be added? What would be taken away? And then if you could spend one minute a day, five minutes a day, having quiet time to spend that profound time with yourself, and start to listen for an answer. An answer is a perk. It's really the journey. It's really just spending time with that question that changes your trajectory. So what came through for you, Jeremy? You were talking about my 
question of highest self in in where do I feel the most powerful? And it's changed over the last several months as I've changed in a lot of things. And I kind of pictured myself around a campfire leading people in a thoughtful spiritual experience, um, helping people with their sense of belonging and their sense of wonder at their own potential. And I felt myself in this very organic space in 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 that. And that's that's a very different vision than I would have seen a year ago. If I can give feedback. For a moment, imagine instead of these are patients, imagine they're various versions of Jeremy and you are guiding yourself to where you want to be. I think spatial referencing other people can be really helpful. Like if, if you think you understand something, teach it. And by the time you've taught it, you definitely understand something, right? And this, I feel like a lot of therapists will get into therapy because they're really trying to heal themselves. Is it right? You've- Oh, sure. And so instead of using other people as a reference point, shifting that back to you and seeing, okay, like if you are one of the many Jeremy's around the campfire and then the Jeremy who is speaking, the Jeremy who is guiding is your best possible version, your completely awakened, enlightened version. So if you sat down with the campfire, what would that Jeremy have to teach you? So you're using yourself to spatial reference. I think it is beautiful and humble um, to help other people. Like I think altruism is really essential. And it's one of the few spiritual shortcuts we have to evolving. If you can help someone like pure altruism, not trying to help yourself. Um, it's one of the ways you can like more quickly ascend. But in general, people want to help other people because it helps them understand who they are and it helps them learn about themselves. Yes, yeah. I, I, would, I would say that another piece of this is... Uh, letting go of some darkness that I've been carrying with me for a while. I'm going to pause you. I'm going to split hairs. Framing it that way, it's your fault. You're saying, I should I should let go of this darkness and I should have done it long ago. And that puts all the burden on you. I just want to reframe that because when I scan people, that's not what I see in people. I see that they have been completely hijacked and strangled by this darkness. And the darkness is like using their fist and they're like, why are you punching yourself? Why are you punching yourself? Why haven't you let go of the darkness yet? Like if we could, clearly we would have. So just framing that in a way where it's not your fault could it be an interesting opportunity? Yeah. Is that like, a, would that change your tra trajectory? Sure. But using it like from the frame point of um, this is something that has hijacked me. And now I am aware that this darkness is hijacking me versus like, this is, I have a choice. Should it stay or should it go? If you had the choice, I promise you, you would have gotten rid of it all already. It's only because it has hijacked you and tied your hands up that you haven't gotten rid of it. So once you can see how it is tying you up, then you can very quickly see, oh, this is the chinks in my armor where it got in. And this is how I'm so whole and complete. I can't exist with this frequency anymore. I just don't like to, to victim blame. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I think in America, the last maybe 10, 15 years, like Buddhism, this aspect of Buddhism has gotten really trendy of victim blaming. Like um, there's something and I need to learn it. And once I learn it, then I'll be better. And then I will evolve out of it. And um, the reason this is happening is because I need to learn this lesson. And that's just not what I see when I scan myself and when I scan other people. If your favorite version of yourself is wise and kind, why would it want to torture you with lessons? Like in your favorite version, you already know all the answers. Do you get, 
I'm I not totally throw Buddhism under the bus. Um, I love so, especially like the meditative aspects of Buddhism. There's so many beautiful things. I've just seen this trendy thing, um, like I said, the last decade in America where it's like, oh, what lessons do I need to learn from this thing I'm going through? Where it's like, I'm dumb and I need to be educated. And that's why my spirit is creating negative experiences. I don't see it like that. I see frequencies coming in, hijacking people and there's symptoms and consequences of those distortions. And and so when when you're talking about this, are you talking generally about the person being able to intentionally raise their frequencies, intentionally rise up, intentionally start emanating more energy and light uh, to to rise above what what there is? Is it, it would that be a way to explain it? Yes, and um, your question answers it for you because the way you're saying it, you're describing it in a visual way. You're using your hands to like frequency was here and then you rise it up and you use a light, which is a visual. Um, so for visual people, they're going to connect in with that. For people who are kinesthetic, they feel things. I might explain it differently for people who are auditory or people who smell things. Like I would scan the person and kind of be like, oh, Jeremy, you're visual. So I'm going to help you understand this in a visual way. Um, I, I said a moment ago of like, I, I tell all my patients this five minutes a day, have quiet time. If you can do more, if you can do four hours, like that's great. If you can't, if you can do one minute, if you can do five minutes, you can drastically change the trajectory of your life. You can drastically change your frequency resonance. It doesn't have to be hard work. It does have to be a little cognizant. Like I don't want people playing on their phones while doing it, but if you're someone who does great with gardening, I'll tell you to like go garden while you have those five minutes. If you love taking showers, if you love, I don't know, cutting your toenails, like find a place in your life that you already love doing that. Like you love washing the dishes. So I would say, okay, while you're washing the dishes, like enjoy like those minutes and really connect in and be like, my favorite version of myself, how would I be washing the dishes? And you just start to broaden your horizons of where you're currently resonating. And then this is game of attrition, the right saying, I can speak for me, like um, things were rough when I was little and things got more rough and things got more rough. And I can see this beautiful orchestration where I got tougher and I got tougher and I got tougher. So as you spiritually ascend, it does require a profound toughening up one of the basis of spiritual ascension is you have to be able to tolerate yourself. You have to be alone with yourself. Um, you have to be able to do five minutes a day of quiet time. That would, if you would have told me that when I was 21, that would have sounded like torture to do, like meditate for, for five minutes, meditate at like be alone in my own skin with my own thoughts. That would have been horrible for me. That's why now I'm very kind. And I'm like, do it while you're gardening, do it while you do it in a way that's reasonable for yourself. But if I came from a place of, of severe mental, spiritual, emotional burdens, and I've, I've been able to go on a 10 day silent meditation, I can regularly meditate and absolutely love it. I think this is accessible to anyone. Um, the more grit somebody has, the more they can stick with it, the people who can actually do five minutes a day, because I, I say this to everybody, and maybe some people can do it for two weeks because before they forget or they lose interest, maybe some people can do it for two or three months or two or three years before they kind of max out their spiritual resonance. So I really, the people who really fascinate me are the, like the long-term people who can consistently keep working on their trajectory for, for years and years and years. Um, this isn't a good or bad, just people fascinate me. Say someone comes to me and they're like, I have knee pain. And I'm like, great. Let's say the reason you have knee pain is your grandmother is blended into you. So we get the grandmother blended out of you. We teach you some PT exercises. I recommend a couple supplements and I tell you five minutes a day, quiet time. And you do that for three weeks and your knee pain is completely gone. And you say, thanks, Heather, adios. Great memories. I will be thrilled that we had that interaction. 
Whereas some people, they come to me for knee pain and then it's been nine years and they're still with me and they're like, okay, we did the knee pain. And then let's say we did my eczema and then we got rid of that. And then we did my depression and then we did my menopause and then we did all these other things. And they're able to keep raising their spiritual resonance they're instead of using an excuse like oh someone's in menopause and now they're too busy they're too upset to meditate and work on themselves like is that a valid excuse sure so it fascinates me the people who have all the excuses as all the rest of us do but they still keep evolving spiritually evolving this is this is all so wonderfully fascinating and and you know, when I, you, I remember you talking about, you know, we used to live near each other in a small town in the mountains called Michigan Bluff. And you used to, uh, it's, a, it's an old mining town and there was silver and gold mining going on all around here. There's mines under the, the ground and everything like that. You used to see people out here that mm. were walking around that occasionally didn't know that they were dead. Oh yeah, this one time I was going to the airport and leaving Michigan Bluff at like 3 a.m. And I walk out in my yard and it's just a cemetery. There's just dead spirits as far as my eye can see. And I'm like, I'm just trying to go to the airport. Another time, yeah, I mean, all this years ago, um, I had, I put on an event where I was like, I just got to clear up all these like gold mining ghosts, like all all the people um, who just don't know that they can cross over to a better existence. And so I helped everybody in that vicinity. I love working with um, dying people and people who are dead. I think a disservice of America is we haven't taught people how to die. So my two questions whenever I come across death and dying are, do you know you're dying? Do you know that you're dead? And do you know where you're supposed to go? Because sometimes people just don't know that they died. Um, and other times they know that they died. This one's really common. They know that they died. They don't know where to go. And so because of my dear, near death experiences, I've been to the other side. So I know kind of like a doorway. I'm like, go through that door. That's where you want to go. It's paradise. It's, it is heaven please go through that door. And as soon as I kind of point them in that direction, like instantaneous, they'll be like, yeah, that's where I want to be. That's frightening to me. Like, oh. I, I wouldn't want that. No, I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen to me that I was in some limbo place and I didn't know what to do. You know, that sounds, that sounds awful. Yes and no, depending on how how you died in america it's really common to be in a hospital and really really drugged up so when you die you're just kind of high and you don't really know what's going on so i bump into a lot of ghosts who are just kind of stoned they're just whether they had dementia and then they were giving a lot of painkillers. So they're not exactly miserable compared to being in heaven. Like, you know, which one you would choose some of them, let's say someone who died because of suicide, like they were completely miserable and an entity on the other side convinced them this was going to make them feel better. Like if you die, your pain will be over. Unfortunately, what I see with most suicides is the way you die is how you are on the other side. So if you were miserable while you were dying, you're probably going to be miserable on the other side. If you were um, awake and blissed out and happy, you could cross over to the other side and still be like awake and happy. Uh, I think what's more common is people who are just kind of mundane, numb, blank. So their whole life, they're just kind of going through their motions and they die and the death is just going through their motions. And now they're a ghost on the other side and they're just going through their motions. So it doesn't mean every single ghost out there is scary or is scared. There's a wide variety of, of experiences that's just reflected and how they live their physical existence before they crossed over. You had talked about knowing um, who your daughter was going to be mm. before she came to you. And is, that's just such a beautiful story that I've heard you tell, I think, just once. Um, 
Yeah, and years passed. Like she she floated around me for five years before I was ready to be like, okay, let's let's make this happen. Um, and th- those earlier years where I was just like, kids, yes or no. So I'd go I'd go through a period where I was like, I don't think kids are for me. Like I shouldn't have kids, or maybe I'll have kids and kind of normal female questions that go through your head. Um, and I was in Hawaii. Um, at a Masajati event and I was like driving through beautiful Hawaii and the clouds part and like these sunbeams come down over this tropical valley and it's just one of the most beautiful sights I had seen and then like this literal literal pink twinkle showed up and was like hey you're my mom we're doing this and I was like you look beautiful this is interesting. And then she leaves and I was kind of horrified. And I was like, I thought I didn't want kids. Like I do want kids. And so for years here and there, she would just pop up for a second, be this beautiful sparkle and be like, you're going to love this. This is going to be the best thing that ever happens to you. This goes on five years. And I just got into a point in my own personal evolution. Like I had healed all my diseases. I had healed all my mental burdens. And I highly recommend this for anyone who's going to go into parenthood, clean all those burdens up. Parenthood is so much more fun when you're not dragging around PTSD or anxiety or depression, or just being out of space and time and not being present. If you're present through parenthood, like changing a diaper is delightful. Waking up in the middle of the night to breastfeed, couldn't love it more. That wouldn't have been possible if I had done that when I was younger and I was still burdened by all those distorted frequencies. So I got to this place where I just felt really clean and I kind of slayed all my dragons. And so I just started doing things on my bucket list. I um, I read War and Peace. I was taking French lessons every week. I um, climbed Mount Whitney, I ran a marathon and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm running out of things. Like I've traveled the world over three or four times. Like I've, what is my next adventure? And when she came into physical density, I was, I had just climbed on top of Mount Whitney. It's the highest peak in continental US. And I, this was my first major, like I'd been kind of athletic, but this was like my first really major backpacking trip. And I get up to the top and I'm looking around and it is just an insanely beautiful vista because you're so high up and you can see for so long. And I'm up there and what strikes me is how much it reminded me of my spirit body. Like my physical body is very dense. My spirit body has no density. And so I'm up on top of this mountain and I'm looking around and I'm like, there's no density up here. This is really cool to look and see nothing Um, like down way down there. You can see stuff, but up here, there's just no density. And that really reminds me of my non-dense spirit body. And I'm looking way off into the distance and I see this pink sparkle and I'm like, oh, pretty. And it just comes and slams into my chest. And I just like drop to my knees crying my eyes out from happiness and I was just like I do really want to have kids and I need to have this kid now like this like the time is now and I just felt her being like her spirit enter me and I got pregnant immediately after that um and then I the marathon I ran a marathon a week a couple weeks after that so when I was pregnant um I ran silence um uh oh I just forgot the name of it the to the sea redwoods to the sea where it's like you start in the redwoods of San Diego San oh my gosh I might be getting tired um Santa Cruz and you run through the redwoods and then you land at the ocean oh wow I just had this like really beautiful start with my daughter my first daughter Sky of welcoming her into my body and then um running a marathon with her that's um that's amazing i'm kind of like trying not to get emotional myself just just thinking of it because it's just so so beautiful um and i guess like when i you know you, you tell a story like that there's there's so many different there's so many different meanings to a life 
And there's so many different things that we do in our lives. And so, you know, for you, when you're working with people and you're having people who are, I don't know, maybe wondering what they're here for, wondering what their mission is, wondering what it's all about. How do you talk about that sort of thing? I I get this all the time. I think that is probably the number one reason people reach out to me and I don't think they really understand it. They know they want to feel better. They want to feel okay. They want to feel content. They want to feel satisfied. Maybe some of them even want to feel really abundant. And so they call me and they think like, oh, I have knee pain. I have some barrier. Um, And once this knee pain is gone, then all my problems are going to be solved. And I'm not minimizing their experience because I I have been exactly where they are. Um, But I start off with like a one hour phone phone session, follow-ups are 30 minutes. And by the end of it, the questions always kind of get around to like, okay, well, if we've sorted out that knee pain, then like what what am I supposed to be doing with my life or what is really going to make me feel satisfied, make me feel abundant? And my answer, I I wish it could be more beautiful. People don't necessarily like this answer right away. I think the one and only reason we're here is to experience density. And it might sound more interesting if like our our reason to be here was to experience love or altruism or um, to save the planet. And I'm not saying those things aren't valid, but your intention and your motivation for anything that you're- Okay, for the viewer and the listener, we just had something happen that is really kind of a unique situation. So what you may not be able to hear from the recording is that- We've had to record this into parts. This is edited in as the uh, the ending of this podcast episode because something interesting happened. I asked Heather to begin discussing the concept of the meaning of a life. And she is here joining me from her home in Reno, Nevada, and the power went out in your neighborhood, didn't it? Yes. So earlier in the podcast, we had spoken about how certain entities or frequencies can manipulate um, physical density, like how a ghost could flush a toilet. In that vein, um, electricity is kind of easier to manipulate than um, flushing a toilet. It has electricity, has density, but less density than hard objects. So frequencies, presence, essences can manipulate electricities. So if we start to talk about something really powerful, um, those frequencies can be disrupted. So it felt like to me, we were about to answer like a really powerful question and create some really powerful content. And the power was yanked in my neighborhood for a short bit to kind of curb that. So it's um, fascinating to see the orchestration play out. So the question was, um, why are humans in physical density? You didn't ask it quite like that. Do you want to rephrase it or should I answer as is? I I am happy to see that your fly friend is back. (laughs) Um, The question question was about you work with people who are dealing with the big question that we are all dealing with. Why are we here? What are we doing here in a body on this planet? What is the purpose of our lives? What should we be focused on? And, you know, that's a, that's a big question that all of us face at one point or another. And so that's kind of where that's, that was my question. And my, my answer is simple and not, extremely grandiose. I think we choose to come into density just to experience density and just to experience the dichotomy. When we're on the other side, um, I'll call it like vanilla pudding, like it's delicious, it's heaven, but it's very uniform. And so when we come into density, we get to experience hot and cold and pleasure and pain and light and dark. And 
we, our spirit just simply loves to experience density. To explain this a couple ways, one is if you've ever seen like a really cute baby and you're like, oh, I could just, I could just eat you up. Like that's an odd, odd thing to say. Like clearly it's not about cannibalism. We just are, we just want to consume density. We want to engage with it. Another way to say it is, I am blessed with the ability to see the other side and it is heaven. And honestly, I cannot wait to die. I am so excited to be able to live in the heaven state 24 seven without any time restraints. But I promise you, if something were to happen right now, like if I was about to die, if I was going to drown, I promise I would freak out and I would try to do everything to remain in my density. So even though I understand I'm excited for the other side, my spirit craves density so deeply that it will try to latch on to this density as much as possible. So it is really beautiful when people want to um, try to cure cancer or save the planet or try to do something grandiose. When I tap into people, and they have some, you know, I, I want to make this amount of money. I want to buy another house. I want to save the planet. When I look at the intention behind that, it's normally, I will feel better if I do something. If I do this grandiose thing, then I will feel better about myself. So when they're seeking a career or they're seeking finances or they're seeking something better, in relationship, or if they're even seeking, like, when my knee pain goes away, then I'll truly be happy. And I just haven't found that to be my experience or the experience of my patients. Like, yes, life is better when you get rid of the knee pain. Um, and I'm not trying to discourage anyone from curing cancer or saving the planet. I just don't see that as the true motivation. Like, yes, we want to feel okay, satisfied, abundant, but really what we want to experience is our spirit body in this physical dense body. And the more we understand that is the goal of our spirit, the more we start to fulfill what our spirit wants. So the only thing my spirit wants is to interact with me, to interact with my density. The second I start doing that, all the other things that I want in life, uh, for me pain to go away, to save the planet. All those other things will get forced into this physical reality and get forced into this new trajectory. I'm going to have to listen to that a couple of times. That's it. It's, um, I, I want, I, I also wanted to ask you, this kind of has come up in what you're talking about with physical density. You talk a lot about being at one with yourself spiritually. And you talk a lot about knowing yourself, being consistent. And I, that's a lot of what I am doing when I work with people. What are your values? How do we get you in line, your life in line with your values? How do we remove those blockages? You see a lot of people for whom the blockages cause physical pain. And so for just the education of people, how does that happen? What do, what do people need to look out for and what should people do? Uh, first, I help people streamline um, whether we say highest values or we say best possible self. I help them differentiate what is my brain driving me to desire and what is my spirit driving me to desire. And sometimes those overlap and sometimes those do not overlap. The more we focus on what our spirit is driving us to do, the more we're in line with that, the more we feel internally satisfied. If something is just coming from a brain space or a family space or a societal conditioning space, the more we chase that trajectory, um, if that disconnects us from what our spirit is trying to get us to do, we'll never find that internal satisfaction. So people might think if I get another pair of shoes, if I get a better paying job, if I get a different spouse, then I will be satisfied. If those are only coming from your brain level desire, you won't find satisfaction on the other side of it, maybe temporarily. But the more you start to align with, okay, what 
what is truly going to satisfy my spirit. And like I talked about just a minute ago, the thing that satisfies your spirit most is just interacting with your spirit. And then the more you interact with your spirit, the more it becomes really clear what are your particular values. This is where I said, spend five minutes a day of quiet time with yourself so you can find that out. So you're not trying to see what does my parent, what do my parent want, parents want? What does society want? What does my boss want? What do I think I want from my personality or my trauma or my brain? But what is actually in alignment with my spiritual values? And then it becomes very easy. We become very motivated to follow that trajectory. You know, I, I, I see this both in my therapy practice and in my coaching practice, just how easy it is for people to move. And I've done it myself in my life, move out of their spirit place, move out of what's important to them because of other motivating factors. Other motivating factors are, God, the job is good. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Um, uh, and a gnat just flew in my nose. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I'm gonna do it because it supports my my lifestyle. And 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 I've I've heard people say, well, I've got ten more years, and then I can retire. And I think ten years is such a long time, you know. And and I imagine that that comes with just a lot of spiritual plaque or buildup because your your heart isn't in what you're doing every single day. I, I would call it spiritual sacrifice. Yeah. Like you're literally selling yourself. You're selling those two years for a perceived pleasure in the future. And I've seen this countless times with with patients, whether it's emptiness, they're like, once my kids move out, then I'll fulfill my dreams. Once I retire, then I'll find that, that satisfaction. So I'll continue to sacrifice what my spirit wants for 10 years, and then things will go better. So if you're running a pattern of spiritual sacrifice, even if you did quit corporate America, you would just continue to sacrifice in whatever startup you want yourself into. So again, like I said, spending that five minutes a day alone with yourself so you can identify what kind of patterns am I running? Where in my life have I sacrificed? What have I done in my life that has brought me closer to my best possible self? And what have I done in my life that diverged me? What was sacrificed? What was lost? Those are really big questions and you don't have to start there. If you just start spending five minutes a day and just starting to see who you are here and now, it'll be a natural consequence that you'll look back at your experience and see what got you here and what was truly beneficial and what was truly detrimental. And that is one of my favorite questions when I am trying to navigate life or my spiritual practice is what is truly benefiting me? If this is truly benefiting me, if this is in line with my spiritual values, then it's very um, easy to follow that. But if something isn't benefiting me, I'm at the point now where I don't engage with things that are not spiritually benefiting me. Heather, thank you so much for spending all of this time and bringing this incredible value to people. I, I've always appreciated your thoughtfulness and your insight and all of the ways in which you have um, spoken wonderful things into my life. And so uh, thank you for that. How do people get in touch with you? Healingbird.com. All right. Thank, thank you, you so much. My honor, my pleasure. <laughs> right on. My name is Jeremy Van Word. I'm the CEO of High Altitude Mindset. Now go be something great. <laughs>